Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! Uh, you can stay up to date. <laughs> you can stay up to date with the podcast, Creative Pep Talk, by following me on Instagram at Andy J Pizza. You can also go there and see, put a face to this voice. I've been told that I have a a decent face voice match. Not that I have a decent face, but. So I definitely, you know, I'm a weird guy, but that my voice sounds like my face. So go check it out. Andy J Pizza on Instagram. That's the bait. Bite. Get on it. Let's go into the episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site, It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. I always wonder if comedians have jokes about airports and planes and flying and whatnot because they have to fly and travel a lot for their work? Or is it because there's something about waiting around and and the seclusion and the boredom of flying that makes people especially observant? I don't know what it is, but I feel the same. So I do have to fly quite a bit for public speaking and whatnot. Um, And I too get in this headspace of of observation when I'm on a flight. And one thing that happens every once in a while is for some reason or another, you get in a plane and it has to taxi around the airport for some reason. It, It has like an especially long taxi service in the plane and you're it's basically a plane 
driving around. That's what taxiing is for a plane. And if you've been on a plane when it's doing this, it feels ridiculous. And somebody inevitably is going to make a joke of, what are we driving there? Like some, some stupid thing like that. Because it feels so awkward to drive in a plane that was made to soar. It's embarrassing. And it reminds me of a real problem facing creative people that I think kills a lot of creative journeys before they get started. And this is it. All of us know that our favorite, most inspiring creatives in our lives and in our inspiration, in our influences, the people that we most respect and that most light us up are working within some innate talent. There's something about their nature that allows them to do things that nobody else can do. And the problem is when we go start making stuff, we don't feel like we're working within that innate talent, within that flow state, within that uh, nature we don't th- we feel totally natural and we're missing that supernatural that we're witnessing in our greatest creative heroes and when we can see clearly that our heroes have this ridiculous supernatural quality and when we're working in it it's quite awkward and bumbling and fumbling that we give up because it feels like we must not have this x factor we must not have the talent will never be the kind of thing that we would as, uh, aspire to or be influenced or excited by. And it causes us to give up. And it's this feeling of being an airplane, watching your creative hero soar up in the sky while you're taxiing uh, like a, bo- a buffoon around the airport, just feeling like an idiot being like, I call myself an artist, but I know these artists airplanes are supposed to be in the sky while I'm just awkwardly driving around like a goofball. And you can only drive around as a creative plane so long before you're like, all right, I'm just going to stay put because I look like an idiot. But here's what you got to know. And this was a huge breakthrough for me. In order to get off the ground, in order to find your creative lift moment, You've got to drive first. You see, a plane can't find that supernatural discovery that they found when they invented planes of lift. They can't find that moment when all of a sudden they, they lift up off the ground. They'll never soar without driving first. You see, even though planes weren't built to drive around, they have to run down the runway driving like a car at top speeds, believing in themselves, believing in it, believing that if they do this awkward thing, that at some point they're going to hit that aerodynamic lift and it's, their wheels are going to come up off the ground and they're going to find that supernatural, ethereal, angelic lift and start soaring in the air like planes should. Do you know where I'm going with this? You see... For years, I've talked about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. This came from Dr. Carol Dweck. 
she talks about how uh, the fixed mindset is this talent mindset. You either have it or you don't. And there's all kinds of problems with the fixed mindset. People with the fixed mindset, when they're faced with a challenge, will give up right away because if it feels challenging, if it feels hard, they get afraid that they're going to prove that they don't have it. They don't have the X factor and they're going to shut down. But people with the growth mindset, the people that believe that their skills can grow if they engage, if they put in the time, if they, if they fight for it, those people are boldened and enlivened and excited by a challenge. And they found that the growth mindset is the number one determiner of success. And so for the past couple of years, I've been talking about the growth mindset because I believe it's so absent from the creative field. And I think it's absent because we see those supernatural creatives. We see people like Prince and Jim Carrey and Mindy Kaling and all these people that are just doing things. Just like they're some, they've got some X factor, something that's inexplicable or something about their nature. I can't explain it. And I know when I go to do my thing, I don't have it. That the fixed mindset has just been so pervasive on creative people. And so for the past couple of years, I've been obsessed with the growth mindset, drilling it in your head that you'll never have it if you don't put in the time because the time is what it takes to have it. But then all the while, I kept noticing, I kept observing that my creative heroes did in fact have some innate quality, some talent that you couldn't get any other way. You couldn't get it just by putting time in. And so I was at this kind of weird contradiction. And, uh, and I think I had a breakthrough on it. And it's this, that it's not binary. You don't have either the fixed or the growth. I think you need the growth to find your fixed. You need the time on the runway awkwardly chugging down, speeding up as a plane who's meant to be in the air. You got to put in the time. You got to put in the work. You got to try a bunch of awkward crap. You got to learn a bunch of the skills. You got to learn the theory, the philosophy. You got you to gotta work at it whether you know if you have it or not. And if you will put in that time and you try that on enough runways, one of these times you're going to find that creative lift. All of a sudden, you're going to try a new medium and all of a sudden, it's going to mix with your nature in such a way where there's an ease, where it's unexplicably better work than you've ever done and you don't even really know how to explain it. You're going to have those times of creative lift, those fixed moments, those moments that speak to your supernatural quality, your innate uh, X factors, if you'll stay on the runway, if you will embrace the growth mindset in the meantime. Now, I've never read the book, The Artist's Journey. Someone sent it to me because everybody knows I talk about the hero's journey all the time. And they also know I'm a fan of Stephen Pressfield's book, The uh, War of Art. Every time I say War of Art, that book, I have to pause because I'm oh, I always am like, don't say Art of War, don't say Art of War, and then I go to say it, and it says I say Art of War, but it's the War of Art. And so someone sent me a link to this book, The Artist Journey, and uh, I guess Stephen Pressfield is also a crazy Hero's Journey fan, and I read the premise of this book, and it embodied this idea that I had. 
I'm, I feel like when you have truth, when you're inspired by something deeper, it's a muse that's going to show up in your work. And then when you see it mirrored in other people's, it doesn't always mean turn around. This is an aside, but it doesn't always mean turn around. Sometimes it means lean in because you're onto something and you have a different angle than anybody else has. And when I looked at this premise, I was like, yes, this is it. Because he says that the artist journey uh, is something that happens after an artist's hero's journey. That a hero's journey, the first journey an artist has to go on is in that growth mindset. It's in the uphill climb. It's in the awkward fumbling. It's just grinding and trying new things and breaking things and messing up and getting messy. And then eventually, when you find your creative lift, trademark Andy J Pizza, that's not Pressfield, um, <laughs> you find your creative lift, then you go on the art artist journey. And I kind of like to think of it like uh, a hero that goes out. You know, uh, I've been, you know, I'm going to bring Zelda into this. Just sue me. If you don't like it, if you don't, if you are sick of hearing me talk about Zelda, don't listen to this show anymore. Um, Zelda's a video game. If you don't know, uh, it's like a hero's journey video game. It's kind of medieval fairy stuff with swords and monsters. Link is the hero of Zelda, the game. It's kind of weird. Um, if you call the hero Zelda, you will be instantly ostracized from the Zelda community. It's a whole thing. Zelda's the princess that he used to save, and now she kind of kicks butt herself. It's quite fantastic. Anyway, <laughs> uh, in the game, there's this kind of sword in the stone moment about halfway through the game where you get the master sword. It's the best part of the game. I freaking love all the stuff after the master sword. But before you get the master sword... You gotta break a few other swords. In the in the newest game, every weapon besides the master sword is a regular weapon. It doesn't have any supernatural quality, and if you use it too much, if you use all these different weapons, they're gonna break. It's gonna get messy. You're gonna. It's gonna. It's not gonna work. It's gonna. You're gonna be kind of a slave to constantly trying new weapons. But then, if you will put in the time, if you'll go on that journey. You'll try pencils and paint and, uh, and colored pencils and gouache and digital and all this crap. If you try enough of them, there's going to come a time where all of a sudden you're going to pull a pencil from the stone. And for some reason, the softness of the lead, the quality of the paper, it's going to hit this inflection moment where all of a sudden your drawing is better than the sum of its parts. For some reason, it works. You're the only one who can pull that pencil sword from the stone. And that moment will be your creative lift moment. And you should have a few of them. Because the, it's not fixed or growth mindset. It's not binary like that. It's a narrative. It's growth and then fixed. And if you stay in it long enough... You'll have multiple narratives, multiple stories. You'll have a sequel to that thing and you'll have growth and fixed all over again. Hopefully it goes a cyclical thing. We'll get to that at the end. We're going to come back to that. But for the time being, I want to encourage you, if you are currently not feeling the creative lift, maybe you felt it once before and it's that time has passed and you've, your jet fuel ran out and now you're back on the ground. You can't remember how you did it in the first place. This episode's for you. If you've never felt the ease of 
pulling a pencil sword from the stone like King Arthur, his brother, his brutish, huge brother who's struggling and striving, trying to pull that sword from the stone. It's not his sword, baby. And if you've been feeling that, you've been trying sword after sword after sword, and they're all just clunky and broken and they can't do it, there's gonna, if you will put in the time, if you put in the growth mindset, if you'll balance that lift and that tug, there will be a time where there's an ease to it. And so today's episode, we're going to go into some mindset shifts, some tactics that will allow you to balance the fixed with the growth so that you can put in the time on the runway to find those beautiful moments of creative lift. Let's do it. First thing you got to do is you got to know the theory. You got to know the science of your creative practice, whatever you're trying out, whatever thing that you're currently testing, whatever the roadway you're on right now, whether it's you're trying out a new illustration style, whether you're trying out a new program, maybe you're getting into 3D, maybe you're trying a new instrument, whatever it is, whatever you're trying to find creative lift in next your next experiment, you need to dive into the theory and the philosophy and the science of that medium. It doesn't matter if you're the smartest kid in the flying academy. Here's the thing. You're doing the test. You know all the right answers. You know when to press this button and pull that knob and flip that switch. You know it all. You've got 110% extra credit. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't know the theory behind flight, creative flight, if you don't know that you've got a, I said uh, something like balance, lift, and tug, that doesn't mean anything. The true balance that you need to strike is between lift and weight, thrust and drag. That's what flight is all about. And the reason you as a pilot need to know that is because no flight is the same. Every single flight has different air, weather, problems, different uh, conditions. There's so many different factors that you you have to understand the basic theory of what you're trying to achieve in flight. Because even if you push all the right knobs and right buttons and right things, you're going to be met with new variables that you have to run with. And that's the same for your creativity. Because here's the thing. You might know the perfect laws of color theory. You might know music theory. You might know every single rule of your uh, skill. But if you want to make something new, If you want to navigate new territories, new pieces of work, the conditions and the weather of that particular song or illustration or film are totally different than anyone's ever experienced. And rules will not help you. But if you have a philosophy, it will guide you. And so you need to dig into and embrace and understand the philosophy. And if you do that, you'll be able to not just play by the rules, but you'll be able to discern within the moment what to do when the weight goes down and you need more lift, when you need to thrust because the drag is overwhelming. What do I mean by that? What the heck am I talking about? I'm going to explain it to you right now. 
here's something that happened to me. So when I was in high school, and it's the amateurs of public speaking, right? Like you get up and you do an oral book report or what have you. And I had some innate talent for that. And I could get A's on oral book reports that I'd never read. Just by the skin of my teeth, just by me being a weirdo, just by being a goofball. More, You know, I thought, I, there was one time I hadn't read the book at all. I'd read maybe a synopsis, maybe some cliff notes, and I thought, I'm going to go up there. And I knew this particular English teacher was, you know, partial to drama. He liked when people got a little bit weird. So I thought, I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to bang my fist on the podium and make his bold claims. Got an A. Happened, this kind of thing happened multiple times to the point where one of my nemesis, nemeses, I had several. One was named, uh, we'll call him... Uh, Johnny Piles. <laughs> it rhymes with that, but y'all never figured it out. Johnny Piles, woo, he hated me and nothing infuriated him more than knowing I hadn't read the book and yet I got a better grade than him. It's not fair, it's not justice, it's wrong. And he was right, actually. But in your face, Johnny Piles. Anyway, here's the thing that happened. I had a taste of, ooh, maybe I got a little bit of X factor on this. Maybe I can add a little of that sauce to my illustration career. And so I started accepting some public speaking opportunities early in my career, only to be crushed beyond belief. I was like an airplane who's like, check it out, I'm going to New York City. I told all, you know, looked around cocky, ready to friggin' take it off the runway, only to find out the conditions were different that day. I didn't understand Lyft and I was just stuck taxiing around because I got freaking heckled. It was so bad. My early speaking engagements were so bad. This was in my early 20s, over 10 years ago, I guess, something like that. I don't know math, but long time ago, were so bad and they were so excruciating that I nearly swore off public speaking altogether. And it wasn't until that I realized that public speaking, good public speakers, had a philosophy, had outlines, had tricks up their sleeves that just like a, a pop, if you're going to write a pop song, you need to be aware of the whole verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus, key change, whatever. The same goes for public speaking. And when I filtered through things that came naturally to me through the things that helped me kind of fortify my weaknesses in that area, I found creative lift in that arena unlike any other that I had before. And so I had the same thing with illustration. I used to listen to, uh, I listened to every episode of the Your Dreams, My Nightmares podcast. If you're an illustrator, it's required listening. It's with Sam Weber, a damn good illustrator. Go listen to all of it. Uh, I think it was on that podcast that I heard John Clausen, John Clausen, I don't know how you say his name, but I know he's a good illustrator. He wrote the uh, Where's My Hat book with the bear who commits murder, and uh, it's a kid's book, but... Uh, he talks about in that, that big breakthrough in his illustration philosophy was when he realized when he's writing a book that he needs to write it with pictures, not just words. So there has to be the, the pictures have to say something 
that the words don't. I don't think he said right with pictures. I think that's trademark Andy J Pizza. But regardless, that's where I got that idea. This idea of um, of make sure the words say something that the pictures don't. And as soon as there was a break in logic between like you, the words would say something and the pictures would contradict them. It would create some unique thing that only illustrated books can do. And it and it's the definition of the medium of picture books and comics. And once you understand that, all of a sudden, you can start to discern the weather and the different conditions and the variables of every single new thing you create. So dive into it. You know, analogies, understanding analogies were key to talks in the podcast. You know, joke writing, I spent a lot of time, I'm not really a joke writer, but I, I have improved slightly just by studying. What is a joke? Well, there's a premise and the premise should be misleading so that you can come with a punchline that's surprising. And that's also, there's an understanding here that there's an evolutionary thing of why we laugh. And it's usually uh, something feels wrong or dangerous and then we realize that it's not, that it's all fun and games and we laugh to ease the tension. And once you understand the basic philosophy there, if you're getting stuck, if you're getting, if you don't, you can't find your way in the dark of a new uh, variable in this new creation that you're making, you can lean on that philosophy. So, uh, lean on the philosophy, study your heroes, study those who have created theory around your given medium because it might not be that you don't have the X factor, that you're not finding the creative lift, not because you're on the wrong one runway, but just because you don't understand the philosophy. And if you supplement your X factor and your talent, you'll be surprised where places where you crashed and burned in the past you will fly higher than you've ever flown. Second thing you need to be aware of if you're gonna find that creative lift moment is that you need to be searching for weapon wielder fit, okay? Weapon, the tools that you're using, the instrument you're playing on, the, the thing you're drawing with, the cameras, whatever it is, and the wielder, you, who you are, your nature, just how you naturally are. You need to f- keep looking until you find that fit where all of a sudden you get that creative lift. Think about it like how many of you played Super Smash Brothers? Some of you, probably not all of you. Super Smash Brothers, it's basically uh, a battle game in Nintendo where you can pick almost any Nintendo character known to man and then fight each other. So Pikachu versus Mario, Donkey Kong versus Bowser, Mega Man, Sonic, all kinds of cool, cool characters. You want me to keep listing them? You can find the list online. Go check it out. Um, but you, <laughs> Meta Knight, Kirby, Uh, There's lots of them. There's way more than that. Snake from Metal Gear Solid. Am I boring you yet? Listen, I have a point. Here's the thing. You're playing me. I'm playing with my brothers. They're kicking my butt. They're owning me, man. Oh, until I figure out that Ness 
is the perfect from Earthbound. He's one of my favorite characters. He has the moves that match with my particular way of playing until I can crush them over and over and over again in your face, Josh and Jordan. <sighs> that actually never happened. I was just living a fantasy here where I found a character where I could crush him every time. Anyway, I beat him enough, okay? Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's, but it is true. You gotta work with all these different, you gotta play all the different characters before you find the one that actually fits with your style of play. And the same goes for not just video games. You can't, if you use this podcast, you won't just be better at Super Smash Brothers. You'll be better at your creative work because for me, here's something that I found. I freaking love, uh, I think it's called non-photo blue lead. And I get a mechanical uh, graphite holder and I put, and I have this big stash of blue lead and that's pretty much I exclusively draw with this blue lead. And there's just something about it that when I draw, and I draw with other pencils, I feel like seven out of 10 drawings feel right. Like I can't quite remember how to draw, but every time I put that blue lead to the right paper, it's creative left, baby. And I wouldn't have found it if I hadn't broke some pencils in my day. I wouldn't have found that master sword had I not broken the pilgrim sword and the traveler sword and what have you. And I found this blue lead when I was teaching at an art school about five years ago. And I wouldn't have even noticed that my students were using this blue lead had I not had the mindset of finding the, we the weapon wielder fit. And so if there are some things in your practice, you know, for me, one thing that uh, is a little bit awkward for a long time was vector illustration work. There's something about it. It's so slick. It's so geometric. And I'm so messy that it was really hard to find that weapon wielder fit there. I did find some things that helped me because I figured out how to draw in those programs and get some looseness to my graphic work. But then even more than that, adding analog textures when appropriate, when I'm working in print work, uh, I man, there's something about a, a texture or a brush or an actual pencil line scanned in. It will hide a multitude of sins. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like it, a hot, that it embraces the mess. It has the humanity, and I need that. I can't. I I don't have that math, that mathematical brain that allows me to exist in that perfectionist way. And there was something about when I started overlaying some paint textures in, it just boom, all of a sudden, creative lift, something that without struggling, without striving, all of a sudden I just had that weapon wielder fit and the work is better than the sum of its parts. It's, it has this leap moment. And if you have, haven't felt that leap moment, you got to stay on the runway because it makes work worth making. And so... The point I'm trying to make here is you need to find where your weapon in your nature fits. So I have, you know, my wife and I, we're both messy artists. We're not the, uh, you know, anal type A math people. We're, we like the feelings. We're gushy. We're a mess in that way. We like to get messy in our work. 
And whenever we try, you know, she was for a long time struggling. How am I going to present my work? Because there's something about framing it. There's something about the precision of this perfect way of displaying my work that just shows all of my flaws. And it makes me miserable. It makes me not want to make the work. And then she figured out that she really likes to hang her work just like a wall hanging and it cuts out all that stuff and it lets it breathe. She hated putting her textiles behind glass in a frame because she, the reason she made it, the reason she loved it was because the textures of how it feels. And so she realized if she's going to frame it, it's got to be in a, uh, an open box where it's spilling out of the frame. And for me, I found the same things. You've got to keep searching, keep finding where that nature fits. For me, for uh, the other thing is our personal style. We were very inspired by the whole mid-century modern thing. You know, it's it blew up 10 years ago and has been going strong since this resurgence of mid-century modern. But the minimalism of that, it just didn't jive with the how we like to live or it felt too dead. It didn't have enough color. Have you seen the cover of this podcast? It's bursting with color and flow flavor and explosiveness. And that's just the opposite. It's maximal, baby. It's the opposite of minimal. And so there was something wrong with it. So we kept searching for that weapon wielder fit. And I went to this talk back in the day at the Indianapolis Museum of Art. And it was an expert on Alexander Gerard's work, who I was already a fan of. But they talked about, I found out more about him and realized that he was a mid-century modern artist. But he, but she, the expert said, she said that it, he, uh, he proved that mid-century modern could be modern plus more. So he was making these simple shapes but he was making a ton of them and he was creating patterns and, and he was inspired by folk art. And so we found that that perfect weapon wielder fit for our taste and our flavor of how we're going to decorate this home is modern plus more. It's modern plus folk and the, the Venn diagram there. And if you understand what balance you're trying to strike if, you're, if you understand you're trying to choose tools that mesh with your nature instead of show all your flaws, you can keep trying and breaking new weapons until you just feel that fit like a glove and, and, you, and you start to take off. <laughs> yeah, I got one more. All right, I don't know what to title this last one. I'm just going to be honest with you, but it's something about believing in yourself. Number three, believe in yourself. Or it's something about never arriving. I'm going to explain to you what I mean by that, but I think this is the most important one. And so uh, here's the most important thing. If you're going to ever figure out the balance of the lift that you get from the, finding your fixed talent and the weight of grinding it out in the growth mode. If you're ever going to strike that balance long term and have a career full of creative lift of that supernatural, almost spiritual, mystical creativity that we all, I think, long to create in. 
if you're going to strike that balance over the long term, you've got to believe in yourself enough to never arrive, to allow yourself, like we talked about last week, to pulse, to spend some time on the ground and some time in the air. Let me explain what I mean by that. We all know these creative people. We've all been them from time to time. That find some creative lift, find a style breakthrough, find a weapon wielder fit, find some moment of supernatural stuff and we get up in the air and it's so exciting, it's so fun, it's exhilarating. It's euphoric. You're up there flying. You're doing what you were built for. You were built to be in the air, to soar in those creative skies. And then while you're up there, this anxiety hits you. You can see it on the airplane dashboard. Do they have dashboards? I don't know. But some indicator tells you you're running out of fuel that this lift has a time limit. There's a shot clock. There's a, uh, you're running out of, you're running out of fuel. This thing that, that used to give you creative lift, the thing that hit the culture in such a way that it resonated in this deep way. It's starting to run dry. If you're a comedian, maybe what was funny 10 years ago, it's not funny anymore. If you're a a designer, maybe this trick in Adobe Illustrator that got people's freaking out five years ago, nobody cares anymore. And you're not interested either. You're not having a good time trying to keep that bird in the air. But you're so afraid that you don't know how you got creative lift in the first place. You're so afraid that maybe it was a fluke, that maybe this plane will never fly again, that you refuse to make a pit stop. You refuse to safely land and refuel your engines and spend some more time on the runway in the growth mindset, breaking some stuff. And so what do you do? You run on fumes until you crash and you burn, think about your creative heroes that have spent too much time in the spotlight and they're tired. There's a song by Bleachers, all my heroes got tired. I don't wanna get tired. I wanna spend as much time, I wanna be that rare creative that finds creative lift every few years in a new way and spends 50, 60 years up in the air. But to do that, you've got to spend some time down on the ground. And if you're going to land that plane, the only thing that's going to get you to pull that trigger, there's no triggers in an airplane, but pull that lever, push that thruster, pull that, I don't know how to fly actually, okay? I just did a little research for a podcast. But you got it. the only thing that's going to allow you to bring that thing down is to believe that you will fly again, even if the weather's changed, even in the new scenario. If you figured it out once, you can figure it out again. 
you got to realize that if you pull the master sword from the stone, if you'll not squeeze it so tight, if you won't ring out that breakthrough for every penny that it's worth, you'll leave enough room and enough life force for a sequel. The sequel always has a super mega master sword. That's the kind of creative life I want to live. I want to have sequels and trilogies and, and dynasties of creative work. You know, there was a few years ago in my illustration practice where I found this little thing where uh, I, I made this texture and I would cut it with a, it's not that easy to talk about illustration, but I'd cut it with a sharp contrast and it would create this kind of effect that felt really slick and different. And it, for a while, I got some serious creative lift on that bad baby. And there's a temptation in my work to stay stagnant and cling on to that thing that I had. But if I do that, I'm gonna be stuck in the prequel. What I found is when you find creative lift, it feels like the means on the ground of the runway allowed this end, this place that you've always longed for. But if you will land that plane, I can tell you that that end will become another means. Look, I hope that I do this podcast for the rest of my life because I freaking love it and it gives me some serious creative lift and I've been able to explore it in all kinds of different angles and new ways that I'm excited to do it for the long term. So don't be afraid. But the first couple years of the podcast, I thought, holy crap, this is what this plane was built for. But guess what? I found that if I'd allowed that next call, that next sequel, that next journey to pull me out into new things, I found that when I started doing videos and YouTube, that all of a sudden the podcast seemed like a runway for this new thing. And even though uh, YouTube's still early days, it unlocked some opportunities I'm not even at the liberty to talk about that would have never happened had I not eased off the gas and took a pit stop and let go of the last story so that I could embrace the next one. And if you will have those kinds of open hands with your breakthroughs, with your creative journey, you will have a lifetime of balancing the fixed and the growth mindset the grind and the lift and it will help you soar. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> does that make sense? I hope it does. I hope it, I hope it fires you up because it's got me fired up. And I have one little thing to add to it. A few weeks ago, we had Joey Ellis on the podcast and he said that his friend Bob Shea, who's my friend too, I mean, I don't know if I know him as well, but we talk. He's a great, great kid's book, author, illustrator. And he said that if you don't like the grind of making the book, you won't enjoy the reward. And I've found that to be true. And that's the last thing I want to leave with you is that when you go look for new runways, 
I think the best thing you can do, don't look for places where you think you have the X factor. You think, oh, I'll be so, I'm clearly, I've got the secret sauce, baby. Because when you do, when you get on that runway and it's a grind and you're and it's awkward, you're gonna give up. But instead, take those runways that just look fun. That navigation system, that metric, that North Star has not served me wrong. If I just lean into what I'm curious about and excited about and that lights me up, if I'm excited about just, I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy to be on the runway. Those runways more often than not lead to those creative lifts. And I think the reason that is is because you'll spend more time on that runway if you enjoy it, if you just like being there. And often that's what it takes, just time on the runway, you know, working it out, grinding till you start building those muscles up, figuring out what's weighing you down, what, what, what theories and philosophies will help curb your weaknesses in this area. And if you spend enough time on that runway, you're going to find some weird little things about you that make it so you can do this thing different than anyone else. And really, I think that's the secret to creative lift anyway. If you're having some trouble finding creative lift on your own, I am opening up some coaching sessions in the near future I'm doing it differently this time around. I'm going to be taking applications and I'm going to accept some people for one-on-one sessions for a little bit more of a long-term relationship. If I spent, I hired my first coach this year. I found it to be invaluable. They can see things that I can't. Sometimes the reason you can't get creative lift is because you're self-sabotaging or you're just doing, you're lacking some outside perspective that you just can't get any other way than a trusted coach. Uh, Look, Michael Jordan needed Phil Jackson. You might need some Dr. Pizza. Go sign up to the newsletter so you will find out when those applications go live. First, creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter. Go sign up there. You'll get an email when I open the applications. Go check it out. I'm pumped to get back into this. It's one of the things that um, I I feel most passionate about. Go check it out. Go creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to Yoni Wolf for the band, for his band Y and the theme music for this show. Thanks to Alex Sugg and the soundtrack of this show. You can listen to it on Spotify or Apple Music, Creative Pep Talk, Volume 1 soundtrack. Thanks to Chris Graham for giving me audio assistance from time to time from Chris Graham Mastering in the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope this pepped you out of your freaking mind. Till we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs>